0: So it's the Ruby on Rails podcast, Jeffrey Grossenbach here in Sydney, Australia, talking to Tim Lucas, local Rails developer, but also involved in a number of different things. You might have seen his comments all over the Rails world or different articles and and things he's worked on. So, hello. Hi. So how is the uh, Rails community here in Sydney? We had our big meetup last
1: night. Yeah. We saw you out with a few beers in hand. If you want to go and check that
0: out on quite a few, America. <laughs> but um, I'm going to edit that whole part out, so <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. And um, it's
1: it's really exciting. There's a few. We've been running a, a Ruby on Rouse group in Sydney here for almost six months now, and we're getting about almost 30 people turn up to some meetings. And we had you speak last night, and there's guys from like PHP backend who have done no Ruby turning up and there's guys from ThoughtWorks um, down in Melbourne that are up in Sydney. So they come from the big enterprise world and you've also got the, the cowboy types that just do everything themselves, like me and a few other guys. And yeah, it's, it's going to look
0: even better next year, I think. And I was impressed too. You never really have one person just speak the whole time. You have two or three different presentations and then it's a little less pressure to come up with some monolithic epiphany about mm. rails and instead people can just get up and talk for five minutes and and that's good enough if they want to
1: yeah people get kind of scared if you if you require these big presentations and even I don't know we just think of it as more of a, a mind share, where you can just if you've got little snippets of knowledge one guy Ben Askins he had a, a reg task to Push static data from a dev database to the production server if you've got static data in your databases that aren't actually modified. He just shared that with us, and I think everyone likes the short five-minute formats and gets everyone in there.
0: At Ruby Conference in Denver, there was a after-hours thing where they had like 25 or 10-minute presentations. That was a little bit much, just to try to absorb all that. But it was great to see people, all little hacks and different things that people were working on just five or ten minutes at a time same kind of format Mm. so who do you work for here in Sydney I do some part time um, core fusion
1: maintenance stuff but mainly I just work with small and medium companies just freelancing and the guys here that run the web development conferences um, West Civ and Web Directions and Web Standards Group they're the sort of core web developers I do do some work for those guys just helping organize the conference and the conference systems they're all run on
0: rails or the ticketing systems and, and just this week you went almost full-time freelance right yeah so have you done the freelancing the full-time freelancing thing before or you just said the works out there i'm gonna do it I, i've
1: done freelancing before but it's mainly been cold and rail i've been i've been working nights and weekends on rail stuff so basically freelancing and almost full-time freelancing and working as well so i just thought it was It's time to just concentrate because I want to build, I want to be able to work more on building up the community here in Sydney and and running the Rails group. And I think to do that, you need to be able to manage your own time.
0: So it should be exciting. One project you worked on was the Web Directions Connection site, and people who had gone to the conference, or maybe even other people, could sign up and just see where people were in the world and a little avatar and kind of have a little bit more community was that your idea or did somebody else have the idea and and you offered or were hired to develop it
1: well no it was my idea to start with we had a web development event down at the snowy mountains called snow web where we all went snowboarding for the weekend and we had about 25 people go down while i was down there i put the question to cameron adams who's the man in blue i said how about we do something like facebook that was for rails conference because i saw they whipped up a a restful app for yeah. RailsConf. I sent it to him and, and said, oh, how about we do it? And he said, yep, sure. So I think about a month before the conference, we sort of d- decided to get our shit together and started building it. And we just did it for the fun of it, really. We weren't commissioned to do it. At South by Southwest, you, you go out and get drunk and you're handing out business cards and then you wake up the next morning or at the end of South by Southwest with like 40 business cards <laughs> yeah, in your, in your suitcase. Yeah, who yeah. are and you know you could be one of those types that sends out all the emails saying thanks for meeting you. Here's my photo. This is what I do. If you remember me, but we thought like why? It's just an archaic system. Why can't people just do that online? So you've got your own profile and pulls in your Flickr photos. And yeah, it went off.
0: It was really went really well. They loved it. It's surprising how many conference you know web related conferences are, and then they don't have anything like that, or or just have a very simple website. It seems like those would be the kinds of conferences to have a website to help you network with people afterwards but at least you do that maybe that would be the wave of the future people see that as a model for connecting conferences well there's a few ben curtis has conference i think
1: he initially gave me a buzz when he saw web connections and said oh, i'm working on a, a similar thing but i think there's definitely a need for it I, people loved it and because Flickr, we discovered last year with web essentials conference in sydney people using flickr as the networking tool and that sort of emerged as the de facto way to get hook up with someone is to go and add them as contact in flickr so we thought like we'll take it a step further yeah i guess connections was inspired by flickr which is like why we've got the little gray frowny faces there to encourage people to Player yeah, rather than look like a sad little, I don't know, web developer.
0: Don't be sad PHP guy. Well, one thing that was used a lot with that, you had a kind of a Google mashup and a little map on there of where people were at, and one thing you used a lot was JSON. Now, I've heard a lot about it, but maybe other kinds of things I've been doing in Rails that really haven't needed or known what I could even do with it. What is JSON and how did you use it for that app? The work was split between
1: Cameron and I and Cameron did all the front end uh, like we both came up with the the design on paper but then he did the actual UI and JavaScript and then I did the Rails and it was completely separated he's into using hijacks and all unobtrusive JavaScripting so we weren't going to use any of the Rails helpers so we needed a way to basically transfer all the data he wanted to use JSONP just to mainly because we were doing it ourselves and it was a chance for us to experiment with, with JSONP. If you wanted to keep it completely unobtrusive, you're going to have to get the data across somehow so you can actually request the, the tag data and the, all the extra metadata. You could do it via XML, but it's easier just returning a JSON object and evaling it, and you've just got the whole JavaScript structure already built for you.
0: Inside the app, well, unobtrusively, normally you could just click and it'd be a normal link to another page, mm-hmm. or it would make an AJAX call and just pull back that data in the JSON format, and then it could just fully within JavaScript manipulate the other parts of the page or whatever it needed to populate, is that how it works? Yeah,
1: well, what we ended up doing was we used JSON-P, so the, the data was loaded as a chunk at the beginning of the page request in a script tag, and then... Once that's loaded and once the certain elements of the page are loaded, then we parse that data and then go and add all the hover effects over the map and Ah. go and do all that. So we're not actually using XML HTTP request to pull it in. Okay, it's just like an include.
0: Yeah, using a script tag. And then can JSON also have, like, behaviors for the different items or is it just raw data and variables that... Or use in the page? No, it's just raw data. So it's a really simple data
1: format. It looks like JavaScript, but it's a subset of JavaScript. So JSON has the requirement that all the keys in the JavaScript hash are strings, and then the values can be like integers and strings and a few other things. But it's not like YAML. Like YAML, you can is a much more complex data format. You can describe heaps of different things, but JSON's dead simple. Like, if you go to the json.org, I think it is, they have a state diagram for the parser for JSON in, like, I don't know, a 500-pixel block to just show you what's required to parse it so it's you don't have the flexibility which means it had scaling problems for us because we were loading this massive data set over the two days we had over three thousand relationships defined between people and about two and a half thousand taggings and about 300 tags um and that was all represented in that one in that one json piece so i mean. It worked well at the beginning. If you go to the site now in Safari, you'll find a big lag. There's not much out there about using JSONP and how to do it properly and how to structure it. So we haven't experimented much with fixing it up.
0: And now, unobtrusively, if people had JavaScript turned off altogether, would the site still work, or how does where would it get the data that way? The whole site works. If you if you switch off JavaScript, you even get an
1: alternate stylesheet, which hides the divs for the google maps and everything so the layout it actually looks and acts perfectly you can tag people you can browse tags you can message and if you switch it on you get a different style sheet there's maps
0: there's hover that's great to have a different perspective on how to do things sometimes especially with rails we feel like okay end to end it's got the whole thing with rails and you refactor with your helpers and all like that but you were able to do it pretty much separated where you just got the final templates from him and, mm-hmm. and you had the back-end functionality and put it all together. Yeah.
1: And eventually I gave him subversion access and he was modifying some of the views himself, okay. but nothing major, mainly just adding extra divs if he needed to. But JSON helped in separating that because I could just give him the data and
0: then the spec for that JSON data, and then he passed it and did whatever he wanted. So he could do some of the development without even having a server running. It was just... Yeah, he didn't didn't get
1: a a local Rails app running on his computer. He was just dealing with a dummy JavaScript file.
0: Comparing that to something like RJS, could you recreate that kind of functionality in RJS, or is that completely different because maybe RJS is more about actually making things happen on the page and not just transferring data? Yeah, you could... Cameron doesn't use JavaScripting by hand, so it doesn't use
1: prototype and, and doesn't use the Ajax requesting stuff in prototype. So there's no built in RJS magic. You don't actually use XML HTTP request in the app.
0: One of the hot new topics has been REST. Supposedly, any day now, Rails 1.2 is going to be released. It's still maybe a couple weeks away. Nobody knows. But are you using REST in any of your applications?
1: Yeah well connections use I use REST throughout. Okay. Um, everything from the profile editing to password updating to even the JSON P. There's a few different pages that need the JSON P in different formats. I just did those as member views on those resources. Worked really well. Um, I'm also using it on a like any new apps I, I try and stick with REST.
0: And if not REST, using the conventions that are encouraged by REST. What kind of benefit do you think you get from REST? Initially, it just seems like, well, kind of limiting. I just have the seven, you know, index, show, create, update, destroy methods. What's the big deal? But you must feel like there's some kind of a benefit over an older way of organizing your controllers. I think it comes down to, like with the icon buffet
1: recode um, that was blogged about, and he was saying that the, the biggest benefit was the consistency between controllers. Like Once you start to try and force yourself into the conventions of REST, your controllers start to look very consistent. Then when you're trying to think how much time is it going to take to do a feature, you can sort of plot it out because you know the conventions you're going to take for doing your controllers and how you're going to split things up. You can sort of estimate quicker how long it's going to take to do things. Okay. And I found it was just a lot quicker to put together an app, not because the routes are
0: written for you, but because there's a standard structure you can just sort of hook into. I'm a horrible estimator, so any little tool to (laughs) help me break things into pieces and figure out how long long it's going to take definitely would help. For me, in some ways, too, and I'm just kind of realizing this now, but using the REST kind of setup makes it a little easier to another buzzword of behavior-driven development. I started an app just earlier this week, here in Sydney, and I started out by just listing all the things that each of the controllers should do. I I didn't realize it until I was done, but having it split up into the different controllers and the CRUD-type layout made it a little bit easier to think of this complex application and split it into the different pieces like that as far as tests as well. Yeah. I found it breaks you out
1: of the um, analysis paralysis where you're going, how can I model... This, yep. like,
0: And you just go, oh, I'll just break it up into different controllers and different models. It seemed like originally people criticized Rails by saying, oh, well, it's good for CRUD-type applications if you just have to edit and update and delete things. But now any kind of app in Rails is going to be written that way. So maybe that's not such a bad thing after all. Hmm. But I mean, even though it's written in a CRUD way...
1: Like, you look at connections, there's nothing about connections which those people would say is crud-like. Okay. I mean, in reality, HTTP is crud-like. I mean, that's actually one of the hard things is when things aren't quite crud-like, because we're still, even though I'm using REST connections, we couldn't use um, active resource easily because we've chosen different keys. Like, we're we using ID, numeric IDs for things, using using the tag name as the id rather than the number and the way you do taggings and stuff i think you definitely sacrifice like i chose not to sacrifice making it nice and restful um so it did work with active resource when you actually do a tagging you post or put to the person's name slash tags with a long string and and that wouldn't work with Active Resource.
0: Now, I haven't used Active Resource that much, but that's more of the client for all these REST services, to where you can just connect and it works like a like a database model would. On the server side, you can definitely have different kind of keys, and you just change your controllers to search for find by tag name or something like that. Mm -hmm. But so you're saying that at least now Active Resource is relying more on numeric IDs and it can't really work with string Mm -hmm. type primary keys well it's only
1: it's only just recently got support for nested resources um, as well so it really hasn't i think it's being used for simple really simple rest apps so So probably just develops they'll add they'll add yeah
0: yeah so having done that do you think rest is a good thing for any kind of app or are there certain can you think of any app where you'd say well i just do it the old way and and have more, maybe more descriptive action names or or can anything be shoe- shoehorned into that REST type idea? Probably
1: what's more important is to understand the conventions of REST. If you don't go with using REST, like I've looked at some of my old apps um, for maintenance and I just started realizing how inconsistent I am with between my controllers. Like stuff that should have been indexed was list and... Because a lot of these things are just evolving over time. These conventions, and I think you can, whether or not you can use the the REST routing, you should like going to the concept of trying to split up your controllers and to to relate to the model and having standard names for actions. I think it's definitely it definitely can be used in any app. Well,
0: cool. cool. Well, whatever, whatever things do you have planned? I know web directions having a. Conference up in Vancouver, Canada. Are you going to head up there for that, or are you would like down to. here?
1: There's, there's that, and there's south by southwest, and they're awkwardly, I think, five weeks apart. So oh. being in this side of the world makes it uh, hard to, hard to get to these conferences. And then if you've got five weeks in between, you've got to figure out what to do. Yeah. Apart from partying in Europe and spending all your money, so <laughs> hopefully I've got a. I'll, I'll
0: I'll pick one of them. Well, nice. Well, you have to stop by Seattle if you come up there. So finally, now uh, I know there's a little bit of a rivalry. There happens to be a one Kiwi on the Rails core team. Do you feel like the Australians got gypped that no <laughs> Australians have been picked for the core team?
1: Yeah, well, I think our country is probably <laughs> happier with us um, winning in the football than Rails core. But,
0: Well, thanks for the chat, and definitely a lively atmosphere down here in Sydney. Definitely going to have to come back here again. Look forward to it. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Music by Wild Lucky Stiff. Equipment by Samson Audio. Other expenses paid for by Peep Code Screencasts.